You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. to see what God does with this new year. And we're going to be starting a new series for the new year. We're going to be talking about spiritual conversations. And the thing about spiritual conversations is that you're probably in them all the time. You may not know it. Some of you probably do know it. You're not quite sure what to do with it. Uh, And somewhere along the way, we're all probably sure that we're supposed to kind of talk about Jesus in our lives. And so it's our hope in this series, actually, that uh, we'll help you kind of recognize what a spiritual conversation is when you're in them. Uh, get a better sense of maybe the tools you could use um, in the midst of them, and also feel kind of confident in what it means to kind of talk about Jesus. And so that's really what we're going to be doing in the course of this year. And we're not just going to be doing that on Sundays. We've actually got a curriculum we built for you all, and it's going to be rolling out in all of our community groups, even for some of our friends online. So if you're in a community group, you're going to be kind of processing through some of this stuff uh, with us throughout the week, because we want to become people who really feel like we can love our friends and our neighbors in the midst of some spiritual conversations. So that's what's going to be going on really for the next few weeks. And actually this year, what I'd encourage you to do, uh, if you're making New Year's resolutions, if you're one of those people who makes New Year's resolutions, uh, today would be a good day to add this one to your list. Uh, And if you've got a phone or a piece of paper, uh, pull it out right now. Um, Write down the names of three people, three people you know who you who do not know Jesus. Three people, write down their names, and I would encourage you to commit to yourself. I'm not going to find out whether you do or don't, but I'm going to, com- to commit to yourself to pray for these people every day. Every day for the next calendar year, which is it's actually easier than praying for them for a year because it's been three days. So 362 days, very easy, uh, much easier than a whole year. Uh, pray for them every day. So uh, for you, that might mean making a sticky note, sticking it on your phone every night before you go to bed with their names. So when you wake up in the morning and the alarm sets you off, you go, I need to pray for these people. It might mean putting them on the steering wheel. It might mean putting them at a place at the office or on your bathroom mirror. Pray for these people every day that they might come to know Jesus. It is our hope that God will use us in the course of this year and that some of those people might come to know Jesus. Not necessarily, actually, because you got the privilege of leading them to Christ, but what you might actually get to see is that the Holy Spirit moves in weird and crazy ways when we constantly talk to God about what he might do in and through us. So that's what I'd encourage you to do. Uh, For those of you who are joining us online, if you're not in a community group, we probably can figure out online community groups. For those of you here who are not in a community group, we'd love to get you in one. So we'll make one just for you. So that's it. We're going to start our series. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We're starting today. Acts 17. We're going to be at verse 16. We're going to talk about how everybody believes in something that you want to find out what it is, and that even when you find it out, you're going to realize they're looking for something, and that something is Jesus. Acts 17, starting at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does the babbler want to say? 
Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. We would like to know what it means. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. And Paul stood in the front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of their places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps croak for him and find him though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our own being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by art and imagination of morals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray Lord Jesus, God, I pray that you would break our heart. You would break our heart for the lost. That we would wake up every day and pray for our friends and our neighbors who do not know you. That you would remind us, Lord, of what it is to be lost. God, we pray that you'd work through us, that you'd work through these scriptures today, that you'd help them to be clear and easy to understand, that we might live our lives transformed by you, and that we might see others do the same. In the name of Jesus, amen. I can already tell I'm going to get choked up, and it's bugging the crap out of me, just so you know. Sorry about that. I have this problem, which is that I really, really care about my friends and my neighbors who don't know Jesus. And it, I can't, every time I start talking about it, this will happen to me every time. And so I just want to prepare you for that. It's going to bother me. You're going to think it's really adorable. Just forgive me of that. <laughs> Everybody believes in something. Everybody believes in something. Everybody believes in something. Find out what it is. Some people believe that Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, was a prophet of God. That he heard accurately the words of God. That he recorded those words. That he knows the truth about everything, especially Jesus. Some people believe almost exactly the same thing about Joseph Smith and the Mormon Church. Some people believe that for 108 years, the Chicago Cubs were cursed by the Billy Goat. <laughs> and then they won the World Series, and now they just lose a lot. <laughs> it's harsh, but it's true. Some people believe that 
when you were born, the stars and planets that were overhead at that particular time control you and who you are and define your personality and also, therefore, all personalities and really all human events. That would then be newsworthy, what's going on in the sky each and every week, and so it's in the newspaper. Some people believe that that's silly, but they do believe there are nine kinds of people as defined by the Enneagram, and they believe that that actually defines every and all human interactions in every possible way. Some people believe that Jesus Christ was the God of the universe who walked this earth in human flesh, that he died a violent death on the cross, that he was raised from the dead, and that anyone who believes in him can have a brand new kind of life. Some people believe that there is no 13th floor in a hotel building. There is a 12th floor and a 14th floor. The 13th floor is unlucky, so it doesn't exist. Some people believe in math. Some people believe that if you experience yoga on a regular basis, you will be improved, not just physically, but in some deeper way. Some people believe that the universe came into existence through a random series of forces and logical events that were completely unpredictable and now operates logically, predictably, and by a series of causes that you can absolutely understand in every possible way. Some people believe that black cats are dangerous. Some people believe in ghosts. Some people believe that human beings have a mind and a body. Some people believe that the only things that truly exist can be seen, smelled, tasted, touched, measured in some way. Some people believe that Donald Trump was going to make America great again. Some people believe that Joe Biden will make America great again. Some people believe there's power in positive thinking. Some people believe there is power in the free market. Some people believe that by turning the calendar from December 31st, 2020 to January 1st, 2021, we have solved all the problems. <laughs> that things are good now because it's a new year. Whew. What a relief. We made it, guys. These are faith statements. Everybody believes in something. Everybody believes in something. What do you believe? Do you know? Have you thought about it? I know not everybody here is a Christian, and that's okay. It's still worth thinking about, even if you don't believe in Jesus. Here's why. First, you might believe some things that are mutually exclusive, which is to say you believe in one thing, and if you believe that to be true, then you actually have other things that can't be true that you also believe. So you might have to pick. Another reason. Beliefs come with deeply held assumptions. All beliefs do. And they shape the way we live our lives. They shape the way we interact with other people. They shape the way we think about the future. They shape everything about us. If you don't know what those assumptions are, there is a decent chance you could live a life that you don't actually like, or at least don't believe that you should be living. Now, for Christians, for those of us who follow Jesus, those two things are really important. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. He was right. But also, those of us who believe in Jesus know that if we believe in Jesus, there are then things we cannot believe because we believe in Jesus. It changes us. That's the thing about believing in Jesus. And also, one of the reasons we're going to have to know what we believe, it's going to come up. People are going to want to talk about it. And if you believe in Jesus, it might be a good idea to be able to explain what you believe about Jesus and why. Could you do it in one to five minutes? Could you explain why Jesus is important, not vaguely, but to you? What difference he has made in your life? Everybody believes in something. Even you. Find out what it is. Paul knows exactly what he believes. It's weird. Paul is a weirdly confident person that you meet in the Bible. Always seems to know exactly what he wants to say. I don't know how he does it, but I suspect that God might actually help him from time to time. And Paul shows up in this city, 
And we've actually seen a lot of Paul in the book of Acts up to this point. So this is chapter 17. But we learned about Paul back in chapter 8 and then in chapter 9, and he's been doing a lot since then. Now, one of the things he does is he's always talking to people about what he believes, and he's always interested to hear what they believe. Always. He's always having spiritual conversations. And consistently, that's with wealthy people and poor people. That is with women and men. That is with slaves. That is with free people. That is with different races, Greek and Jew. That is with all sorts of different people, prisoners, prison guards. He is constantly talking about Jesus. And it's been amazing so far, the kinds of spiritual conversations he's had and what God has done in the midst of them. And all of a sudden now, Paul's in a college town, Athens. They got universities. They got the old brick buildings. They got the ivy climbing the walls, the big grassy fields, people wearing sweaters, drinking Starbucks, reading good books under an oak tree. Athens. There's just intellectualism in the air. People are reading books, PhDs, scholars, students. They've got it all. It's an amazing place. It's kind of like But this is a place that for hundreds of years, by the time Paul's shown up, Hundreds of years is the birthplace of philosophy. Socrates walked those streets. Plato, Aristotle, etc. walked those streets. And everybody loves hearing new things in Athens. Luke, who writes the book of Acts, points out in verse 21, these people love to spend their time sitting and listening and thinking about ideas. It's their favorite thing in the world. And so the question when we come to this text is, can the gospel hold up to scrutiny? Can the gospel handle good thinking? Can thinkers believe? Can believers think? I think it's an important question that in the church in America we're still having to kind of answer from time to time. Can we deal with difficult questions? Or are we the kinds of people who know what we're talking about? But one of the first accusations that the philosophers level against Paul in verse 18, they call him a, uh, a babbler, which is a bad translation. So literally in Greek, the word is seed picker which means nothing to you, which is why they went with Babel. Seed picker, right? So a better translation might be a cherry picker. You ever have a conversation with somebody who just starts randomly throwing out arguments and they don't like, they're sort of cherry picking their information and you're wondering from where? That's what they're saying about Paul. This is a guy who like doesn't really know what he's talking about. And others of them are saying, no, 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 it sounds like he's, he's talking about like other gods. And one of those gods' names is Jesus. And the other god's name is resurrection. I'm not really sure who this other, these gods are. So they don't really understand exactly what Paul is talking about. And they want to have a longer conversation. So the place where they take him uh, is an actual place called the Aragathagus. It's just outside of the Acropolis. These are old words. And there's a group of people that would be there who are also called the Areopagus, a council. A bunch of philosophers, well-trained in really good thinking, are going to listen to Paul's argument about the kind of god he believes in. This is a very intimidating situation. You are just called before the faculty of the entire philosophy department of, I don't know, Harvard. Go ahead. We would love to hear about this God that you're talking about. Paul is on trial, and typically in the book of Acts, when Paul is on trial, someone's about to hit him. Right now, though, he's about to be made fun of. Paul's about to be ripped to shreds intellectually, the way only good academics can do. Oh, I see. You haven't shown your work. Let's talk about these footnotes. Come on, man. I don't know if you've read this book. That's what they're about to do to Paul. They're ready for it. And Paul isn't intimidated because Paul loves spiritual conversations. Everybody believes in something. Find out what it is. The hard part about this text when you start reading is you hear that Paul is arguing with people. And the way that you and I think of the word argue is we tend to think that it means somebody's going to show up and start just yelling at you, monologuing at you, telling you why you're wrong and not bothering to listen. That's not really the sort of argument we're talking about here. Paul is definitely asking questions and then talking. He's listening and he's learning. 
and he has a lot to say. That's the thing about spiritual conversations. You want to find out what people believe who are nearby. And the people who are around are always talking about spiritual things. If you're in a coffee shop, you will definitely hear some stranger talk to you about how because they're a Taurus, this week's going to be really hard. Now, we laugh, but actually a really good move in that moment is to go, wow, that sounds really hard. Um, tell me more about that. Why do, you, why do you think that that's true? Like, how serious are you there? Is that, is that a real thing? I have met, honest to goodness, witches, plural, more than one witch. And I say, that's so interesting. Tell me what it means that you're a witch. Because I have a very cartoonish idea of what that is, and I'm sure that's not who you are. And they go, thanks for that. Sometimes people laugh, and you go, I'm really sorry. Honestly, it sounds silly to me, but that's just because of cartoons. And then we have lengthy conversations about something that I will tell you as a Christian, I go, this is not good for you. But I also really want to hear why it's so important, because I'm confident that this person believes in something. One of the reasons that we're not calling this series evangelism, really important, Evangelism is a good thing, but the problem is that people come from different backgrounds and different churches and different ministries and different experiences. And so sometimes when you hear the word evangelism, what you think is, if I have a conversation, by the end of that conversation, somebody became a Christian, or it's not evangelism. That's not what the word means. That's not what the Bible means by the use of the word. That's not to say that we don't want people to become Christians. We do. It just means that actually in a spiritual conversation, what you do is listen and you talk and you trust that maybe God is moving and speaking in the midst of that, and it's not dangerous to hear what other people believe, especially if you already know what you believe. In fact, learning what other people believe is a huge open door to having a conversation about the gospel. Paul, by the end of this chapter, will make it very clear. He has listened at great length. The way he frames his entire speech makes it clear. He understands Stoic and Epicurean thought in ways that would bore the crap out of you if I proved it to you. He knows, he knows, he knows his audience. He's quoting their poets back at them. He's not saying, as you know, in the book of Moses, they don't know who Moses is. He doesn't say, as it says in the prophets, he goes, you know, your own poets, your own art, your own history points to something that seems to be missing in your lives. There seems to be a hole in something that you believe. I think I know what you're looking for. Everybody believes in something. Find out what it is. Some of us, I think when it comes to um, these sorts of conversations, we think, okay, but in our time, we have things like science and technology we have to wrangle with, like a spiritual conversation is a really difficult thing because you just know that there's somebody out there who has godlike knowledge of technology, godlike knowledge of science and physics and things like that. And we, we have a weird kind of religious belief about science in our culture. You should pay attention to some of the ways we think about hospitals and some of the ways we think about doctors in a pandemic. They alone can save us. They alone know the truth. They alone know the way that we should live our lives. Everybody believes in something. If you start listening, you're going to start hearing, actually, that album changed my life. What do you mean by that album changed? What, what, do you, what do you think about music and beauty? Do you really think that, that makes an impact on who we are as people? I want to know more about that. Tell me more about that. Epicurious. Right? Epicurious had a series of teachings. They will sound very familiar. Epicurious, these are some of the philosophers mentioned in verse 18. Epicurious taught that the universe has always existed and will always exist. Epicurious taught that space and the bodies it contains are infinite. Epicurious taught that there are two kinds of things in the universe, simple and compound. The simple things he called atoms. The compound things, he said, are made of atoms. <laughs> atoms, he said, have their own forces beyond gravity, and they interact with one another in ways that we can't see. 
And the way that the universe was formed, ultimately, was atoms came together and created this thing called the cosmos with their various interactions and things like that. Actually, he would say, that the universe and all of its forces and all of its particles uh, will always be the same. That things may change within it, but the amount of stuff and the amount of matter and force remains constant. If you're paying attention and have been in a science class, you know that he has so far talked about the Big Bang Theory, the infinite expansion of the universe, the reality that particles are the same. That's Feynman and a variety of other interesting people along the way. Um, most of the things you would talk about, the periodic table of elements and Einstein's theory of special relativity. I remember in college learning these things and then after college discovering philosophy and finding out that my professors said we discovered the idea of atoms in the 19th, 20th, and 21st century. And the truth is we've known about those things for 2,400 years. That actually people aren't always aware of the history of their own ideas. They don't always know why it is what they believe and where their beliefs come from. That these Epicurean ideas we have better math for, but we are absolutely Epicurean in the way that we live our lives day to day. They would also say that there's no such thing as a human mind or soul, that everything about a person is fundamentally physical. That when you die, of course, you cease to exist because your body ceases to exist. They would say that the gods, if they exist, which is a very interesting thing to say in the ancient world, if they exist, don't care about us. They've got their own stuff going on. The only way we can get knowledge about the world is through our senses, through our eyes, our ears, our hands, things that we can measure, things that we can see and experience. And that means that the way we should live our life, we should pursue pleasure, because that's what's good, and we should avoid pain, because that's what's bad. Tell me that I haven't described many of your atheist and agnostic friends in that sentence. Tell me that Paul isn't debating exactly the same people that you and I talk to on a regular basis. And it's true, he may not know all of the math of Einstein, but other than that, he's got basically the same sort of ideas coming at him about the way the universe works. The Stoics. The Stoics believed the opposite of the Epicureans in many ways, and similar things in many ways. One of the things they believed was that the universe works the way that it works, and there's no avoiding it. So you don't avoid pleasure, you don't pursue pleasure, and you don't avoid pain. Those are givens. It's a reality you're fated to experience the way you experience life. You shouldn't try to become anything other than a virtuous person. And you'll just know that you have to endure whatever the world throws at you, stoically. That's where we get that word. These were also people who believed in a radical equality of all humanity, and they believed there was a little piece of God in each and every one of us. Paul, when he starts talking about Jesus, is going to talk about a God and then quote some poets that say, we are his offspring. There's a little piece of him inside each and every one of us. Paul, when he talks about it, will actually quote an Epicurean philosopher named Epimenides, but really it's Diogenes, who says, we all live and move and have our being in God. Now this is a very interesting way to make an argument. It's as though he's listened to people, heard what they believed, and then in the midst of that started to go, okay, so this is how I have to talk about the gospel now. Because I understand you and I care about you, and you're not some project and I'm not just going to hand you some tract or piece of paper, but I know that you need to know what I know because everybody believes in something, find out what it is, but when you do, you're going to realize they're looking for something. They are absolutely looking for something. There is no one on earth that does not need Jesus. This is a statement the Bible makes. Those of us who believe in Jesus are confident that that is true. No one on earth that does not need Jesus. And deep down, what we think all people are looking for is Jesus. In the ancient world of Paul, the people who believed things, their beliefs were obvious. 
In our time, we're uncomfortable talking about our beliefs. We go, ooh, to say like you need Jesus, oh, that's I don't that that's just that's just not something I really want to say a lot of the time. And honestly, it's making me uncomfortable. And I just I don't know if that I don't know if I can say that to people on a regular basis. Tim Keller talks about this. Uh, he would say that um, there are two kinds. Uh, let's say there are two people in an argument, Mr. A and Mr. B. So Mr. A is a Christian, Mr. B not a Christian. Both of them have beliefs. Mr. A says, look, I'm a Christian. Let me convince you. I, I want to help you believe in Jesus. I'm basing my life on this. And Mr. B says, no, you can't know anything about God. And you shouldn't try to tell people about him. That's wrong. Both of these people have beliefs. Mr. B actually is making a faith statement. Right. And the faith statement is, no one can know anything about God. He's banking his whole life on the idea that no one can know anything about God. And then he's saying, look, don't ever tell other people about what you believe. You shouldn't do that. And the very moment he's doing that, he's also contradicting himself. Because he's telling somebody else what to believe about who God is. And what he should do and how he should live his life. Both of these people believe something. Mr. A is honest about what he believes. Mr. B may or may not be honest or may not just realize what it is he believes. Here's the problem. One, you're going to meet Mr. A and Mr. B in your day-to-day life. But I actually would bet that you have both of those people inside your head a lot of the time. And there's part of you that goes, I genuinely think people need to know Jesus. And there's another part of you that goes, people don't really need to know Jesus. That's offensive. You're going to have to deal with those things. Honestly, that's a thing that you're really going to have to process through. Because if you're always at war with yourself, there's no possibility of being able to have a conversation with somebody who's talking about why they are absolutely confident in Reiki, right? this weird mystical experience that that the, the scientists and the doctors don't really understand that we're spiritual beings. That you won't be able to have a conversation with somebody like that and go, I agree with you. Those people don't understand we're spiritual beings. But also, I'm not sure that I buy into what you're saying because the God that I believe in is spiritual, but he actually cares about math and science and logic. So what you're saying doesn't really work for me either. Have you really thought about that? Like you use a cell phone in your pocket, that doesn't really work with the thing that you're describing. And what we're doing there is not being jerks. We're not being arrogant. We actually genuinely care about the people we're talking to. It's just that the more we ask questions and the more we really want to know about what they believe, the more we're going to realize what they really need, what they're really looking for, is Jesus. The world Paul walks into, everybody knows what everybody else believes. In our world, it's hidden. We live in this secular time where you and I try to pretend like we don't believe things. Like, religion is sort of just for me, and that truth is for you, and we don't really have to talk about those truths. That's not something we do in our culture and in our climate. In Paul's world, people were actually braver than that, and they just go, this is what I think. And especially in Athens, this is what I think, and this is why you're wrong. Very straightforward, very direct. These people had statues to the things that they believed. There wasn't like wondering, I think sex is the most important thing about my life. My sexual identity is the most important thing about who I am. I'm going to have sex with all kinds of people. I'm not the kind of person who sticks in long-term relationships. I have a statue. The statue is for Aphrodite and for Eros. These people are the people I worship. Sex for me is a spiritual experience. It's one of the ways that I connect with God. Cool. That's who this person is. You know a lot about them if you get into a dating relationship with them. Very straightforward. I believe in Pluto. Guess who Pluto is? The god of money. I want watches. I want cars. I want the next house. I want the best vacation. I want that Instagram life. I want people to see it. Okay, cool. I know exactly who you are. I know exactly who you worship. I believe the most important thing to me is the family. 
I've got a statue of Herod in my house. I really want to get married. I really want to have kids. I really want to settle down. And that's going to be the most important thing in our lives. We don't care about anything else. That's what we worship. And for these people, that's what they worshiped. And you and I live in a time with just as many gods, with just as many people bowing down to just as many things. It's just that those people haven't had to sit down and think about it, in part because nobody's asking them questions. And I think if somebody sat down and asked them questions, they might start to say, huh, I don't like the way this looks. Paul, in his speech, goes, listen, we, we know that God isn't like this. Right? Just basic thinking that you guys have, you Epicureans and you Stoics, you know better than this. At some level, what you're saying is that God is like rocks. God is like metal. And that's not what God is. God would have to be like us, or really we would have to be like him. That's Paul's argument in the speech, and it's a really good argument. And anybody who's sitting down thinking about it goes, do I really want to say that family is the most important thing in my life? Wouldn't that actually be bad for my family at one point? Couldn't I, like, couldn't I get out of balance really quickly? Maybe I should think more about what that is. But if we don't ask them, if we're not curious about their lives, they might not actually think about it. Everybody's looking for something. The thing they're looking for is Jesus. Paul, in the midst of looking around at all of these gods, all of these rocks that people believe in, goes, I, I saw that you have a statue that's just empty, like just a pedestal, and it says, for an unknown God. I know who that is. I know what you're looking for. I know what you're longing for. I know what you're missing. I know because I found it. I know that you're lost because I was lost. I know what you're looking for because I was looking for the same thing. And I can tell you that as long as that statue is empty, as long as that place is missing, you don't have it. You know that you don't have it. I know that you don't have it. And now that we're talking about it, you know what I'm talking about. And I can tell you that God has chosen who stands there. His name is Jesus. You should worship him. He will judge us all, but he loves you. This is the substance of Paul's speech. In him we live, we move, we find our being. What we're looking for, what we're groping for, what we're reaching for, he says in verse 27. The thing that we've longed for our whole lives, the thing that deep down, the reason you keep bowing down all these things, the thing that you keep looking for all these girlfriends and boyfriends, the reason you keep having all this meaningless sex, the, the reason you keep trying to fill your life with stuff and it doesn't seem to be working, the reason that you're doing all this stuff is there's a hole inside of you and I know who that is. I know what fits in that place. It's Jesus Christ. And people who genuinely care about their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, people who are praying for them every day, they don't walk into those conversations as arrogant people. They don't walk into those conversations ready to monologue and win an argument. Those people are ready to listen and are ready to bear witness to Jesus Christ in their lives. Paul is not an ass. When you listen to Paul, I probably shouldn't have said ass there, I apologize. Paul is in this conversation, he's the kind of person you'd actually want to talk to. The kind of person you'd actually want to talk to. Because he genuinely has thought about this, and he genuinely wants you to hear about Jesus. It's an incredible thing. I have this friend who's a pastor in Seattle, and he says it's really challenging to be a pastor in Seattle, and, and I would agree. And one of the issues that you guys don't realize is when you tell people on a bus or at a party that you're a pastor, the conversation tends to end really quickly. Uh, it's just you do everything you can to avoid saying what you do for a living. So one of the things that happens, you'll be talking to somebody, and... You'll say, I'm a pastor, and you'll realize they don't know what that is. And so they ask a question, you try to explain, and then they figure out what it is, and they don't like it. So they don't want to talk to you anymore. Sometimes you talk to somebody, and they go, ah, and they don't want to talk to you because they already know what it is, and it's not the best. 
So my friend says he's a spiritual teacher rather than pastor. That's his move. And he says people love spirituality and they love teachers. That just, that's a great thing. And so one day I was on a plane and I was flying across the country and I was sitting next to this guy. And so we're chatting a little bit and I know it's coming. And he goes, so what do you do? And I go, uh, I'm a teacher, actually. Really? That's so interesting. I love teachers. Uh, what, what do you teach? And I say, spirituality. He goes, that's fascinating. You teach spirituality? That's so interesting. What kind of spirituality? Well, I'm a Christian, so it's mostly Christian spirituality, kind of the nature of, of who God is and how much God loves us. Really? I've been looking to some, for somebody to talk to me about this stuff. When we get into this lengthy conversation, lengthy conversation about some of the stuff that he's walked through in life and some of the stuff that he's, he's kind of been processing and thinking about and believing. And there was just something about my willingness to engage in a spiritual conversation, not evangelism, but a spiritual conversation in which I talked about Jesus. A spiritual <laughs> conversation in which I talked about Jesus in which he talked about the stuff that he was thinking about that, that he got really, really interested by the end of that conversation. And here's the punchline of that story. We got off a plane and I never saw that guy again. I have no idea what happened in his life. None whatsoever. I don't live in the same place he does. But I'm really confident in something that Paul is really confident in. Okay, so far, everybody believes in something. You should find out what it is, including what you believe. Everybody's looking for something, and we know who that is. But the truth is somebody's already been looking for them. That's the gospel. The guy I'm talking to on a plane, it can end. And I go, oh, man, I wish that you'd like decided to pray in that moment and become a Christian. But you know what? I'm actually really confident that you're going to go somewhere with other Christians and other churches. And actually, the Spirit's probably moving in your life because this conversation's super weird. So it had to be Jesus because I was just trying this out just to see what would happen. I don't do that all the time, by the way. Sometimes I just say I'm a pastor. But I've had lots of conversations with really interesting people around town. And if you remove the pressure of, by the end of this conversation, they must become a Christian, it becomes much easier to talk to people about what it is they believe and ask a lot of questions because you don't feel like you have to rush them through. And it also becomes something where you go, well, this, this is something that maybe we could have another conversation about and another conversation about. And somebody would start praying for it, somebody whose name you would know, and you'd actually care about them because the truth is, again, God is already looking for these people. The amazing thing about the spiritual conversations you and I are involved in is we know that the most important person in the conversation isn't me, nor is the person I'm talking to. It's actually there's this third person who's there, the Spirit of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, the great good Father who is desperately longing that anyone and everyone would come to know Jesus. There's a, a commentator named uh, Willie James Jenkins, and he says this uh, about Paul. Here is a serious Jew touching the unclean thing, Gentiles. Paul, formed in Torah sensibilities, is rightly, greatly disturbed by the idolatry all around him. But now he will do something absolutely stunning, marvelously productive in his outrage. He will not turn away from the idolaters, but toward them. This is what the gospel demands. Reaching toward and reaching out to the point of touching and holding. Paul is reaching out to those Gentiles who could not be more removed from his world. These words of Paul are no missionary ploy. God wants the Gentiles. God desires those who desire idols. And the reason that Paul is so confident of this. This guy who we met earlier in the book of Acts, who was ready to kill anybody and everybody who didn't believe like him, that's an actual change that happens in Paul, was that he's actually had this experience of God looking for him. He knows that God is looking for the Athenians the same way God was looking for him. There was a time when Paul did not believe in Jesus to the extreme, when Paul was willing to murder people who did believe in Jesus. 
And then one day God knocked him off a horse and had a very intense conversation with him and said, look, you're going to work for me now. Stop fighting Jesus. And all of a sudden, Paul becomes this Christian, and it really changes the whole way he deals with life and everybody he meets. He goes on journeys, talking to strangers. He's living a crazy kind of life because he genuinely believes in Jesus. And God starts using this guy to go and speak to other people who he would never have spoken to. And when he's talking to these Athenians, even though they're making really good arguments, even though he's listening to really incredible things, he goes, look, I know what you're looking for, and I can tell you he's already looking for you. You're searching, you're groping, but actually he's nearer than you could ever imagine. He has already died for you. He already loves you. You just don't know his name yet. I know the one whom you worship as the unknown God. I know his name. I am proclaiming to you what you do not know. And these people hear this story and it changes their life. And it changes some of their lives, honestly. It doesn't change all of them. Some of them, I think, that their seeds have been planted. Right By the end of the story, right at the very end, we hear Dionysus the Areopagite has been convinced. Convinced. This guy who was on the council, this brilliant thinker, this incredible philosopher, who knows what kind of philosophy, is a Christian now. Damaris, this woman, has come to know Jesus because there is something about this radical God who is interested in both men and women, slave and free, young and old, black and white. There's this God who just loves us. And there's something really attractive about that to Epicureans and Stoics and atheists and Wiccans and people who believe in Reiki and that neighbor down the street who's super weird and into QAnon. There are all these weird people in our lives who have all these faith statements. And the truth is, if we can walk with them and if we can love them deeply enough in the name of Jesus, they might come to know Jesus. But at the end of the story, there are also some people who go, resurrection. And there are also some people who go, you know, I'd like to hear more about that. And Paul seems okay leaving the story right there, trusting that God who looked for him is looking for them. And there's a reason these people can't seem to convince him otherwise, and it's because he's had this profound, powerful experience of who God is in his life. There's nothing you can do. There's no way of arguing that away from somebody. If you really know what you believe, if you really know why it is you believe in Jesus, if, if that's an untouchable belief for you, you can learn all sorts of things that would threaten all kinds of kind of insecure Christians because you actually know that you know that you know. You could try to convince me right now that I don't have children. I know that I do. <laughs> you could work really hard. You could come up with great arguments about how children don't exist. And I would tell you that I haven't slept very well this week because I have kids. I can tell you that I frequently get sick because I have, there's all sorts of evidence in my life of my children. But one of the ways I know I have children is that they love me. And you maybe haven't met your kids. Maybe you, you don't know about this in the same way that I do. But I can tell you that I have children that they exist. I can say the same thing about Jesus. I have experienced Jesus move in my life in incredible ways. He has changed who I am as a person. I am confident I would literally be dead. Literally, not spiritually, not metaphorically. Literally dead if I did not believe in Jesus. There is no touching that belief in me. But that doesn't make me the kind of person who goes, and all of you people who bow down to rocks are useless. All of you people, what are you doing with your lives that you would bow down to things that are false? That makes me go, oh man, you need Jesus because I so desperately need Jesus in my life. If you have had that kind of experience with Jesus, the real question is, how do we get into conversations that are spiritual conversations and listen and bear witness to Jesus, knowing that that conversation may just be the first one of many? Maybe one that you actually don't get to continue, but maybe God continues somewhere else with someone else. But in this year, in this season, we want to start being in spiritual conversations. Everybody believes in something. Find out what it is. And in the midst of that conversation, see if you can talk about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus.